This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Well, I am a church member. I am a church member. Now, saying that involves more than just telling somebody what you do on Sunday morning or where you go on Sunday morning. I am a church member is so pregnant with truth, so full of theology and philosophy. It's more than those things. It should literally define who you are as you walk with Jesus Christ. Because it goes beyond just this local gathering. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a member of the body of Christ. You are a member of the worldwide called out assembly of God. That's what church member means. You're a body part in the body of Christ. And unless you and I function properly as body parts, the mission and work of the body of Christ will be hampered and hindered. I am a church member. Can you say that in your heart? And oftentimes when we say I am a church member, we talk about where we go to church, West Concord Baptist Church. But we need to remember that it speaks to who we are as the church. So we're looking at church membership and what it means. We're looking at the responsibilities of being a member of the body of Christ. We often don't think of it that way, do we? We just come to the church building, we come to the worship service, and we expect to be served. Because the leaders in the church have a responsibility. Because we pay them, and we elected them. And what we lose in that, and those things are to some extent true, but what we lose in that is the responsibility that you have as a church member. The, the need for you and I to step up to the plate, whether we're elected, paid, processed, or not. So we've been talking about church membership this morning. As we continue through, we're going to talk about church leaders. Church leaders. In other words, as a church member, we need to be able to say, I will pray for my church leaders. I can tell you as a pastor of a church, I need every prayer I can get. Somebody asked me one time, what is it like to be the pastor of a church? I tell you, that's something that took a lot of thought. Because I didn't want to just answer knee jerk. I wanted to really think through it. And I couldn't help but remember back to my childhood when I used to watch TV as a kid. Some of you aren't old enough to remember this. Some of you are. But the old Ed Sullivan show. Anybody remember Ed Sullivan? Have a really big shoe. Y'all remember him? I remember periodically he would have these acrobatic acts and these different acts. One of the things that stuck out in my memory was the family that came on and they had these little dowel rods, these little poles. And they'd bring out a stack of plates. And what they all did was they took plates on these different rods and they spun them around. 
And the whole act was this family, mother, father, kids, walking around with these poles. And many of the poles had little branches on them. And they kept numerous plates spinning in the air at the same time. And then the dad would pass the plate to the son while it was spinning. And the son would catch it and it would be spinning. And the son would pass it to his sister and then she... And they, the whole thing was their job to keep the plates in the air spinning. That's what being the pastor of a church is about. <laughs> Oftentimes, you've got to keep the plate spinning. Sometimes you've got to pass the spinning plate to somebody else, and you better hope they're there with their rod to catch it. Had another friend of mine describe what he thought the pastorate was like. He said, it's like being a squirrel. I said, being a squirrel? He said, yeah, we gather with the nuts every Sunday. <laughs> that wasn't my definition, folks. You'd be proud of me. But I still thought it was funny. But being a pastor, being a deacon, being a leader in the church is not as easy as we make it look. Imagine having a job where you have 150 bosses with 150 different expectations. Imagine being a deacon struggling with families to make sure that they're okay while you're struggling to make sure your family is okay. Being a church leader is not for sissies. No matter whether you serve on a committee, teach a children's ministry class, work with the senior adults, students, or you pastor or you're a deacon. Mark Hartfield said it this way, talking about being a pastor. He said, talking about the life of a pastor, he said, I would start, he said, I would start with the pressure from our own egos. We do have them, I'm afraid. He said, I think people of the pulpit and people of politics probably fight this problem to the same degree. Parishioners expect to see someone in the pulpit who has it all together. He or she is supposed to be living a living example of Christ's likeness. What a tremendous burden. What an impossible role we give to our ministers when we expect them to be Christ. You know, oftentimes there are expectations and those expectations are reasonable. You expect your pastors and your deacons to be men of God. You expect your Sunday school teacher to be a man or a woman of God. And that's a reasonable expectation. But you better make sure in your expectations you have the proper understanding of what it is to be Christ-like. We need to be careful where we place our leaders because oftentimes we place them way too high on a pedestal. You go back into the 1980s when you had the PTL scandals and the Jimmy Swaggart scandals and all of those things because they were made into celebrities and they were placed so high on the pedestal that when they fell, they fell hard and they landed on people. Pastors, deacons, leaders are never meant to be celebrities because it's not about us. The ultimate celebrity in the church should be Jesus Christ. Augustine said it best, the great saint, the Bishop of Hippo in North Africa back in the fourth century. He said it this way, he says, for you, talking to his church members, I am a bishop. But with you, I am a Christian. The first is an office accepted. The second, a grace received. One a danger. The other, safety. If then I am gladder by far to be redeemed with you 
than I am to be placed over you, I shall be as the Lord commanded, more completely able to be your servant. In other words, in a sense, we are your leaders. We are the ones who are to draw you to Christ. But at the end of the day, we're fellow servants with you. We're co-bearers of the yoke of Christ. And so as we talk about a healthy church, what a church member should be and what a church membership means, we're going to talk about praying for your leaders. You're saying, Pastor, that's kind of self-serving of you to get up and preach this, isn't it? It feels like it. But in all actuality, if I did not seek your prayer, then I would be conceited beyond measure. For I stand with you, not above you. I struggle with you, as well as the deacon body and our leaders in the church. Yes, we need your prayers, because here's the thing. We are not perfect. We make mistakes. Now, I can say with all surety that myself and the pastoral staff and the deacon body and the leaders of this church seek to lead this church with integrity. Not only integrity morally, but integrity spiritually and integrity biblically. We're bound to make mistakes, and we have, and I've made them. Some people carry around a list of my mistakes with them. I guarantee you this, my list of my mistakes is a lot longer than yours is. But nonetheless, we've been challenged with this task. We've been raised with this task. So let's talk about it. Take your Bibles and join me, if you would, in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And as you get there, let's pray and ask God to open our eyes. Father, again, we are blessed to be here this morning. Father, thank you for these who have counted you worthy to come and worship you today and to learn of you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will fall upon this congregation and just empower them, enrich them, and give them an, a special blessing today for being here. Father, I pray, Lord, for myself and our church leaders at West Concord Baptist Church and all church leaders of Bible-believing churches across the world and across the country. I pray that you'll protect us, embolden us, enliven us, energize us, Father, to do the work because we love you and we do. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna go back to the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. I'm kind of a, a historical person. I like history and the book of Acts is a book of history. It's a God-inspired record of the founding and beginning of the church. What is the church? It is the called out assembly of God. And as we look in the book of Acts, we're going to go back to the days of the early church. And I still hear people to this day saying, oh, to be back in the early days of the church when everything was perfect. Somebody's calling somebody. And they're having a good time doing it. I wonder if Paul ever had that happen. But we're going to go back to the early church. Because let me tell you what, the early church was not much different than us today. And the early church had its struggles. The early church had its difficulties. Because as I've said before, when you get a group of people together, a group of sinners saved by grace, sometimes when you have that sinner saved by grace, the sinner part gets a little more evident than the saved by grace part. So in Acts chapter 6, what we see here is the church has grown incredibly. 
Ever since that first message by Peter in Acts chapter 2, the church has just, the gospel has just spread and the church has grown by thousands to the point where just 12 men are struggling to keep control of everything, to handle everything as they seek to minister to the flock. And so therefore they decide to come up with a plan. So as we begin this, we're going to look at chapter 6 and verse 1. We're going to see the birth of the church offices of pastor properly and the deacon, the two main leadership positions in a church. And just like any church today, the church then was full of difficulties and drama, difficulties and drama. Look at verse one. It says, now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, can you get that? Multiplying. And by the way, again, there were no buildings back then. No church buildings. They didn't have steeples and stained glass and pews. There were no buildings. It was just people gathering wherever they could get to. Probably was very uncomfortable. And in some instances, it was very dangerous. But nonetheless, the church was multiplying. It was going great. And all of a sudden you hear the brakes. I can hear the brakes squealing. Because look what then it says. It says, there arose a complaint. Must have been a Baptist church, amen? There arose a complaint. No. In the church? Yes. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. And who are those people? Well, the Hebrews were the Jews who had become Christians. These were Jewish people who had become Christians and, and primarily the church was made up of mostly Jews who had become Christians at this time. But also the other group, the Hellenists, that's just another way of saying the Greeks or the Gentiles. Because not only were Jews saved in Acts chapter 2, but also many people from different parts of the country who were coming for the Jewish feast days, Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, heard the gospel and they were getting saved. So you had Gentiles there too. You had quite a crowd. You had a diverse crowd. You know, we get all excited in, in 2021 because we think, oh, we're going to have diversity. Aren't we woke and wonderful? They were doing diversity before it was ever cool. So you had Hellenists and, and Hebrews, and there arose a complaint from the Hebrews by the Hellen or to the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. One of the things the church did, because mainly the people that were attracted to it at this time, not all together, but there was a lot of poverty, a lot of poor people. And so the church tried to collect things together and help those people out, especially the widows. Paul does an extensive uh, uh, dissertation on widows and working with orphans and widows in his letters later on. But there were so many and the work was so vast. And all of a sudden the, the, the different groups are saying, hey, look, you're waiting on them before us. The Gentiles, the Hellenists were saying, well, you know, you care about those Hebrew people more than you do us. That's not fair. Already the church was experiencing factions. So if you want to go back and find the time when the church was perfect, save your money on your time machine. There has never been a place like that or a time. The church was a mess. And understand this, the church today can be still a mess at times. Somebody once said, why would you want to be a part of that? With all the junk that goes on in churches, why would you want to be a part of that? Well, I thought back to Noah's Ark. You know, Noah's Ark, when the rains came and Noah 
built that grand ark and brought all those animals in that ark. Can you imagine after a few days how that ark smelled? Can you imagine how crowded it was when you had to walk through camels, sheeps, gorillas to get where you needed to go? I probably was not a pleasant trip. It wasn't the love boat, okay? But here's the thing. Even though it was stinky, smelly, loud, and crowded, and ornery, it was still the safest place to be in the world. Yes, the church is imperfect, full of imperfect people. But it's still God's vessel. And spiritually, it's still the safest place to be, but it's still at times a mess. I'll never forget my first week as pastor of West Concord Baptist Church. It was back on White Street when we were there. I remember I moved from the little office on the third floor to the big office on the bottom floor. I was the pastor, okay? I'd never been a pastor before. By the way, this still is my first church. And I remember going in there and it was time to redecorate. And on the wall was a, some sort of a thing made out of broom handles and broom brush with material on it. Now, those who are involved in that have gone home to be in glory now, so I can say this, it was ugly. <laughs> so my wife and I get in there and Susan, my, man, we're going to take that down. We're going to decorate this office. So I took that piece of art, thinking in my mind that I better not throw it away. And so I took it and stuck it in a cabinet. And we got in there, we fixed it up so it'd suit me and every, be nice, you know, and everything. Sure enough comes the first Sunday I'm going to preach as the, as the pastor of West Concord Baptist Church. And this dear lady pokes her head in my office to say good morning and God bless. And the first thing I heard though was, what have you done? And I thought, what? Where is it? Where's what? The thing my mother made. That was on the wall. She called it a thing because she didn't even know what it was either. <laughs> Get that back up. How dare. And I, she proceeded to yell at me for 10 minutes. That was my first Sunday as pastor at West Concord. Fortunately, I had the frame of mind to pull it out of the cabinet after she got done, stick it back up there. The ugly thing stood there for like months and years until, you know, till we moved. But these are just some of the small things. I can write a book and one day I just might. So you better be ready. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it can be a great time. It could be a difficult time pastoring a church. Same thing with being a deacon. Same thing with being a Sunday school teacher. There are times of tremendous joy and there are times of tremendous brokenness, sorrow, grief, and heartache. Because it's difficult. You say, Pastor, if it's so bad, why do you do it? Two reasons. The first one is because I love the Lord and this is what he wants me to do. And God bless me. The second reason I do is because I love you and I always have. But there was drama going on then, just like there's drama going on. And I get people all the time in the last 30 years, they leave the church because of drama. Well, I just don't want to go to this church anymore. There's too much arguing. There's too much fussing. I just, where are you going to go? All the arks have stinky, smelly sheep in them. Where are you going to go? You know, you go to one church service and, oh, it was wonderful. It was a religious experience. That's because you sat there in the pew and you didn't get involved in the what's going on. You don't go back in the kitchen and watch them make the sausage. So there's a lot of drama. Reason why is because when you have a growing church, 
you're going to have growing problems. When W.A. Criswell retired from the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, his successor came in. Now, that was a huge church, thousands of people. Legendary church. W.A. Criswell, we still quote him in our sermons and everything all the time. And I remember after a few years, they, they interviewed his successor. And they asked him, sir, what's it like to pastor such a large church? He said, I'm not a pastor. I'm more of a mayor of a small town. Six months after that, he resigned. The bigger the problems, or rather the bigger the church, the bigger the problems. I remember when we were planning to move out here from uh, White Street out on this place. I remember one of our deacons then, we were sitting in the hospital waiting for somebody to have surgery. He said, Mike, are you sure you want to do this? I said, what do you mean? He said, are you sure you want to see the church grow? I said, yeah, that's what God wants. He said, well, listen, bigger church, bigger problems. So the church is full of difficulty. The church is full of drama. It always has been. If you are looking for that perfect church that doesn't have these two things, you're not going to find it. So settle down here and put your seatbelts on. Quite frankly, over the last 30 years, I don't think it's been that bad. How about you? I don't know. I think we've done fine. I know of one church in Cabarrus County where their business meetings got so bad that Robert had to take two deputies to go to the business meeting. We've never had that here <laughs> yet, okay? Drama, bigger the church, the bigger the problems. That's the thing. So understand with church leadership, that's often what is going on, difficulties and drama that we have to deal with. Growing church, growing problems. So what do we do about that? What did they do about that? What did the, what did the disciples at the time, and still the apostles were there, and what did they do? Well, they needed some changes and some choices. And we don't like either one of those in the church, especially changes. But look what it says. All this drama was going on. The Hellenists were, were getting more than the, were complaining rather that the Hebrews were getting more than the Hellenists. And there was fighting and there was fussing and it was back and forth. And the, the disciples were running their legs off, trying to meet the physical needs of the church so much that they could not focus on the spiritual. So they needed some choices and some changes to happen. So it says in verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, Multitude of disciples. Doesn't that sound good? You know, I like that rather than having a business meeting. We ought to call it every quarter. We're going to summon the multitude of the disciples together. They said, they said this. It said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. These guys were going crazy running after and taking care of the physical aspects of the body of Christ, which is not necessarily bad, but it was so busy and so hectic that they did not have time to study and prepare their messages to preach and to teach. They didn't have time to delve into the word of God. Let me tell you about sermon preparation. If you do it right, and most of the time I try to, I don't often succeed, but sometimes, but if you do it right, one Sunday morning sermon can take 10 to 15 hours worth of study. If you do it, because this is the word of God. This is not just out of a history book. This is not just some pep talk. This is the word of God. And the pastor, the deacon, the teacher, whoever's doing it needs to take his due diligence, her due diligence to get into scripture and to draw as much as God wants to give them out of it. Very rarely have I ever gotten up here in this pulpit and winged it. Very rarely has that ever happened. There's one time I did spend hours preparing a sermon and that Sunday morning, God said, no, you're not teaching that. I said, oh no, 
And I got up here and, and I preached what God had me preach and it was timely, it was necessary, but that doesn't happen very often and I hope it doesn't happen very often. Pastors need time to pray, need time to, to prepare and, and lead the church spiritually. Deacons uh, uh, have their issues. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But they said, we can't spend all of our time doing the running and, the, and, and, the, and that kind of thing. It was just overwhelming work. And church work can be overwhelming. Remember the analogies of the plates spinning, because that's kind of what it is. You got this meeting to go to over here. You got these people who are sick. You got these people who need prayer. You got all of this going on and it's just busy. And understand this, I'm not complaining. I signed up for it. I'm good with it, okay? But you just need to understand that what you see on Sunday morning just doesn't magically come out of a box. Mike Brooks doesn't take in the church kit and then open it up and tell us what to do. It doesn't happen that way. Sometimes that would be easier. Notice what he says. So there are some changes that need to be made, some choices that need to be made. He says in verse three, therefore, because the work is so overwhelming, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, under the control of God's spirit, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The word appoint there literally can be translated ordain over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the work was overwhelming. So it was necessary to have an overall plan. And now we see the birth of the office of the deacon, the deacon body. Now, as we see deacon, the word deacon is from two Greek words, dia or dias and koine. And it literally means common table. And the Bible tells us, and by the way, the word deacon is used three times in this passage in the Greek, but you never see it in English. It's used three times in this passage in the Greek, and I'll show you a couple of them anyway. One of them is in dispute, but it says the distribution that we saw back in verse one and serve tables in verse uh, two. That's two of those uses, ministering and that kind of thing. All of that comes from that word diakonai. We get our English word deacon, dia, table, koine, common. And the body of deacons was raised up. They got seven men. Notice the description. These are good reputation, men of good reputation, under the control of the Holy Spirit and under the control of wisdom, wise, godly men who rose up and were raised up so that they might look after the physical aspects of the church family. And that's the balance that is struck in church leadership between the deacon body and the pastoral team. The pastoral team's job is to see to the spiritual aspect of church life. The deacon body's job is to see to the physical aspect of the church life. Here at West Concord Baptist Church, we call the combination of the two our shepherding team. We meet once a month, pastors and deacons, to work on the issues concerning our church. And I'm going to tell you, we are blessed with some great men as deacons. We've had great men over the years as deacons. This church has been blessed. Now, some churches do it unbiblically. They have a deacon board that stands as a board of elders. And the pastor, he becomes the lone uh, step and fetch it guy. He becomes the lone runner. And that's not biblical. Nor is it biblical for the pastor to be the dictator and the deacon body to be the glorified janitors. That's not how it's supposed to work either. Again, both of these offices are offices filled by men who are to be spiritually and, 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 and biblically motivated. Men who are to be men of God. Men who are to stand up for truth. 
Because as you read on in the book of Acts, you'll see several deacons in the book of Acts going out and sharing the gospel, going out and evangelizing, going out and teaching. And you'll often see pastors in the Bible going to minister to the physical needs of the congregation. There is give and take. It does go back and forth. But primarily in church work, the pastors and the pastoral staff, they are to be the spiritual leaders of the church. And the deacon body is to take care of the physical needs of the church. And that's, we try to do that biblically. You've heard churches talk about the deacon board. That is unbiblical. The only board recorded in the New Testament is the one Paul floated on when he was shipwrecked. Okay, we don't have a deacon board at West Concord. We have a deacon body. And I will again say, I respect these men. We're able to work together very well. And I praise the Lord for our deacon body. And I praise the Lord for all of our leaders, not just pastors and deacons, but you also have worship leaders, you have leaders in our senior adults. You have leaders in our children's ministry. We have Sunday school teachers and leaders. We have people who look after the building and the grounds. We have many leaders in the church that God has raised up. Leaders who take on responsibility. And so they had choices to make, changes to make, because the work is overwhelming. The work never ends. And so therefore, they raised up these men to come into place and to step up. We just had ministry fair. The purpose of ministry fair is to get people to rise up, plug in so they can take part of the job and make it better and easier. Because let's face it, I can't do everything. The deacon body can't do everything. Aaron, Mike can't do everything. It needs, it, we need everybody to step in. And so this was their plan. And this is about, this is what church is. Church is a lot of work. Church is very inconvenient. If we made church convenient for everybody, we wouldn't be here. Church is very inconvenient. Church sometimes is a struggle. Doing the ministry sometimes, man, alive, it takes forever to get something done. And then when you get it done, 15 people don't like it. I mean, that's just the way it goes sometimes. That's why we talked about our own preferences last time. It's not about you and I. It's about the Lord God. It's not even about me. Here at West Concord Baptist Church, we're a congregationally governed church, which means that you, the congregation, make major decisions on major issues. I am de facto the leader of the church, but I am by no means a dictator. I don't get everything I want. If I did, that might be a problem. Because again, I'm not perfect. Some churches have that one boss pastor. And I've been involved in churches like that in the past, and it's a mess. So we have a congregationally governed church. We work it together. There are times when I need something, I have to come to you with my hat in hand saying, I need X, Y, and Z. That's the whole thing. But we need to pray for our leaders. Because listen, there are times when we have to make very hard decisions that are not always going to be popular. Through this whole COVID debacle, I had to make decisions, the deacon body, the pastoral staff, we had to make decisions about our church and how we functioned during COVID that were not popular among many. And we did not want to make them. I tell you, my favorite time of the week is Wednesday night and Sunday to be able to share the word of God. My least favorite time at church is business meetings. I hate them. I'm just going to be transparent with you. I'd rather go have my spleen removed with a rusty spoon than come to a business meeting. 
All right? I'm just being blunt. Not that our business meetings are altogether bad. They're not. Usually we do things very well. Y'all are great. But I spend the whole two weeks leading up to business meetings nursing and rehearsing all the objections and all the stuff. And while it hasn't been this way for a while, I can remember when business meetings could get mean. And you've heard me say it before. It all depends on how you ask a question. It's like if you have said it before, like if you go to Walmart, you can't find the green beans. You don't go find a blue vest and say, where are the green beans? Why did you hide them? But people at church business meetings ask questions like that. There are choices and changes that need to come all the time. And leaders in the church have to make those choices. And sometimes we have to institute changes. And understand this, sometimes there are changes and choices that we don't want to make and don't like either. But it's necessary. So there was drama and difficulty going on in this church. So therefore, the work was overwhelming. They needed an overall plan and God raised up deacons. Men who would serve in the yoke with the pastors to meet the overall needs of the church. And I thank God for our deacon body. I really do. And that is a pleasant time every month. Matter of fact, we've been reading through a book together as a pastoral staff and a deacon body. We, it was the basis for uh, sermons a few uh, weeks ago, uh, a few months ago. The book is called The Trellis and the Vine about focusing on what's important. And I appreciate our deacons and their wonderful thoughts on those things. So they had difficulties and drama. We're called, it was necessary to have some changes and some choices because it was just overwhelming. And church work can be that way. Those plates, if you're not paying attention to them, they'll fall and break. So they raised up the deacons. And what happened after this? What, called, what, what did this bring about? They raised up these deacons. And I want you to notice there was surrender at first to this plan. You know, there was surrender, but then there was success. Look what it says as we, as we continue this in the passage. It says in verse 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen. Now they're going to list these deacons. I want you to notice, you may not catch this, but I'll point it out to you. Now notice, this was a predominantly Jewish Christian multitude. But notice what it says. And they chose Stephen. You'll hear about him later on in the book of Acts. Tremendous man. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles when they had prayed and they laid hands on them. That's the, that's the beginning of deacon ordination. What does ordination mean? It doesn't give any power or special abilities or authority. It's simply ordination means to, to set apart, to make useful for something. Just like if you have a set of tools in your garage and you choose this one screwdriver above, over another, ordaining that screwdriver to take this task. And so therefore, it's, like, it's the same thing with the deacon. We choose men through the Spirit of God and lay our hands on them, setting them apart for the deacon ministry. Same thing with ministers. Uh, some many years, centuries ago, I got ordained into the ministry. And so you set somebody aside for that. But notice the multitude is pleased. And here's what I want you to notice. These men, each of them have Gentile Greek names. Each man had Gentile Greek names. Stephen, Stephanus, Philip, Prochorus is Greek name. It's a Latin more than Greek. Kenner, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. All of these Gentiles who are raised up as deacons to serve this need. They could just pick their favorite. They 
picked godly men who were Gentiles. And I'll bet you a dollar as I'm standing here that the, the, the Hebrew Christians didn't care for that much. But evidently the multitude overall liked it. Because why? They chose these men. And I want you to notice in this choice that they got godly workers. Godly workers. If that person is godly, then it doesn't matter who they are. Right? So they raised up these godly workers, these godly leaders. And when you have godly prayed for, encouraged, and supported leaders, look what happens. It says in verse 7, it says, Then the word of God spread. Then the word of God spread. You know what they did? They were able to take care of their drama. They were able to take care of their difficulties by making changes, by making choices, by raising these men up. Probably weren't the popular men, probably weren't the favorite men, but they were the godly men. And because the people surrendered to it, man alive, the word of God spread. See, understand this. When a church is so full of turmoil and struggle, we're too busy taking care of making everybody happy and calming down, putting out fires while people outside these walls are dying and going to hell. We're in here getting upset about budgets and carpets and, 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 and all these things that we get all upset about while men and women around you, boys and girls, men and women, without Christ are dying and going to hell. But if the church of Jesus Christ comes together, raises up godly people and we pray for them and we support them and we get behind them, encourage them instead of always condemning, criticizing and, and tearing apart, then the church of Jesus Christ can focus on what it's supposed to focus on and the gospel goes out. That's the plan. I don't know. It's not rocket science. I don't understand why churches can't see that. That's why your leaders need prayer. No, we don't always make best decisions. And yes, we're going to make mistakes. But there are also going to be times we're going to make choices and decisions that aren't necessarily going to be popular. After much prayer and consideration, they are going to be the right decision. Because I'll tell you this about your leaders here at West Concord. We meet once a month. And we discuss and talk. Sometimes deacons meetings, pastor meetings, shepherding team meetings can go three hours because we're trying to find the right answer. Not only that, but the pastoral staff and Barbara and Mike meet. Because we're working out, talking things out. And then the pastoral staff, myself and Aaron, when Richard was on board, we would meet also, the three of us. So your leaders are meeting, they're gathering, they're praying, and we're not just slapping things together. We're not just following whatever the winds are. We're coming together and trying to work things out. And I will say to a man, you have in your leadership, deacons and, and pastors, as far as I know and see anyway, the integrity. And you are working at this church and serving at this church. I am blessed to be able to work with them. And look what happened. Look at the success. The word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were also obedient to the faith. Not only were people getting saved, but the religious opposition was starting to get impacted by this. So here's the question I want to ask you as a church, West Concord. Why aren't we making more of an impact? We talked about Wednesday night about making a big impact in the world. Let's keep that going. Let's get excited about the gospel of Christ. Help us to do that for you. 
Help us. Pray for us. We need your prayers. Mike needs your prayers. I need your prayers. Aaron needs your prayers. Dan and the deacon body need your prayers. We need prayers as we, as we look at the different ministries to see where they're going and what they're doing. And understand this about us. Our job, understand this very carefully, is not to make you happy. Our job is to point you to Christ. Our job is to make this church a place where people will come and get saved and we will go out and share the gospel. So yeah, there was a lot of drama and difficulty going on in the church. It required choices and changes. The work was overwhelming and they needed an overall plan and they did it and they, had, they surrendered to that plan. Godly workers, they became a godly witness. But all too often churches today, we're following politics or we're following uh, trends or we're following this thing or that thing. We're trying to be, we're trying to make friends with the world. We're not here to make friends with the world. We're here to love the world and bring them to Christ. So Rayner says this as we finish it up a little bit this morning. He says, as church members, we must be willing to pray for the leaders in our church. Without our ongoing intercessory prayer, our churches will not be healthy. He goes on in the book to challenge people, say, look, can you take five minutes to pray for your pastors, to pray for your deacons, your leaders in the church, teachers, ministry heads? Can you take five minutes a day to do that? Just a moment, I'll tell you, I don't think I could do this without I, I, people praying for me. I know people pray for me because they tell me they do, and I appreciate that more than anything you could ever know. It touches my heart when somebody comes up to me and says, Mike, I've been praying for you. Because listen, I'm a pastor of a church. I understand that. I'm the lead pastor, but I have a family. Our cars break down. Our, 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 situ our, our kids got sick. You know, we have, we have issues with finances. We have issues with the house. We have the same things you deal with, we deal with. I pray for you. I need you to pray for me. And I'm not ashamed to ask that. I struggle. I struggle sometimes because I try to, I, because understand this. I want to do the right thing here at West Concord Baptist Church when everything comes down to it. Because at the end of the day, what matters more than what you think of me is what God thinks of me. And that makes me very nervous. People often say, Pastor, do you get nervous talking in front of people? Does it look like I do? Sometimes, yes, but not so much as you would think. I'm not nervous about what you think of me anymore because quite frankly, as you'll hear in a minute, I don't, it doesn't really bother me. What I am nervous about and keeps me nervous is what God thinks of me because one day I will have to go to heaven and give an account for my leadership here. And that keeps me on my toes. Mike will. Aaron will. Richard is departing, but he will. Dan, the deacon body will. If you teach a Sunday school class, you're going to be held accountable for that. We need prayer and we need support. So he calls on us to pray. At the end of all these sermons, I've been leaving you with the pledge at the end of each chapter of his book that he writes. Pledges that we as church members should make. I've also included them in your bulletin for you to take with you in case you don't want to get the book. But I'm going to, I'm going to lead, finish with the pledge from the book, but I'm going to give you my pledge, sort of, my statement. I put this out on social media a few months ago, and uh, I'm going to read my pledge, my statement, if you will. And it might bother some of you, but that's all right, you'll get over it. Because I want to read this very carefully, and this is the pastor's pledge, and sort of more a statement than a pledge, and it says this. 
I don't even think I put it in your copy, Sean. It says, I am the pastor of a church. I am not a club manager. I don't care about your preference in church music. I don't care about your politics. I don't care about the denominational label. I don't care whether you like me or not. I don't care about the church tradition. I don't care about your skin color. I don't care about your bank balance. I don't really care about your opinion. I don't care how long you've been a member. However, I do care about honoring God. I care about teaching his word. I care about seeing people get saved. I care about ministering to those who are truly in need. I care about the lost. I care about you. I care about your family. I care about your salvation. I care about your walk with Christ, maybe more than you do. I am a pastor of a church. I am not a club manager. If you want to know my heart, I wrote this, that's it. That's who I am, for good or for bad. That's what I've tried to be for 30 years and what I will be until God moves me out. That is my pledge as your pastor. Let me close with sharing the pledge as a church member. The fourth pledge is this, I am a church member. I will pray for my church leaders every day. I understand that their work is never ending. Their days are filled with numerous demands that bring emotional highs and lows. They must deal with critics. They must be a good husband and good fathers. Because our leaders cannot do all things in their own power, I will pray for their strength and wisdom every day. So I ask you, as a church member, please pray for us as your church leaders. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening. 